0: Program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives.
1: Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to take a look at the very, really delicate and intricate relationship between China and the United States. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Dr. Fred Bergston is the non-resident senior fellow and director emeritus at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, of which he was founding director from its creation in 1981 through 2012. He was an economic deputy to Dr. Henry Kissinger at the National Security Council. Recently, he authored a book called The United States Versus China. Dr. Bergson, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Nice to be here. I appreciate you being with me today. Let's jump right into your book. Why did you decide to write this book and what is the main theme of it?
2: The main theme of the book is that the United States and the world economy face their first real challenge in 100 years, namely the rise of China as a power roughly equivalent now to the United States in economic terms. The US has been the supreme economy uh, for a century. Uh, It has been therefore able to lead the global economic order, which has been so successful uh, since the Second World War but now it's being challenged by a roughly peer country, China. And the question is whether it's essential for one country to continue to lead the world economy, whether China's rise would torpedo the U.S. ability to do that, whether that in turn would undermine the success of the world economy, which has been reliant on U.S. leadership now for 75 years. Um, So that was the real purpose of the book. Can the rise of China be accommodated, can the United States and the world adjust to this unprecedented challenge uh, and find a way that would maintain the stability and prosperity of the global economic system?
1: Now, you've analyzed the situation, you've talked to the key players, you've looked at the issues. Are you optimistic that we'll be able to work our way through this? Or do you think there's a chance that we could move into some type of maybe an economic Cold War hopefully not a Cold War like we had back in the 60s, 70s, and and early 80s, but are you optimistic we can work these problems out?
2: Well, in the short
1: run, I'm
2: afraid there's a lot of momentum in both China and the United States toward a new Cold War. Uh, There obviously are big disagreements on some big issues like the South China Sea, like uh, China's human rights treatment of Hong Kong and the Uyghurs and Shenzhen and all that. Um, The question in my mind is whether the United States and China will be able to compartmentalize their relationship, whether they will be able to separate the economic issues from the other contentious issues to permit them to cooperate on those economic issues and keep the world economy afloat. Uh, There's a lot of talk about decoupling between the US and China as countries. I think that would be a huge error and would send us down the road to a cold war and maybe worse. What I wanna see is a decoupling between the economic issues where cooperation is essential and the other issues where there will be continued disagreements and even confrontation. Uh, In the short run, as I say, I'm afraid there's a lot of momentum toward cold war and decoupling between the countries. Over the medium to longer run, I think good sense has got to prevail in both countries and the rest of the world, and thereby enable the US and China to get together pragmatically to cooperate. After all, these are the world's two biggest economies by far. Within a few years, the US and China together will account for well over half the entire world economy. Nothing constructive is going to happen in terms of global economic management, global economic reform, unless the U.S. and China can agree. If they don't, if they have a new Cold War and confrontation between them on these issues, the world economy is going to get in big trouble, and that's going to be bad for everybody in terms of prosperity, but also, I'm afraid, in terms of global
1: peace. Mm -hmm. One foreign policy uh... Well, strategy, I guess you could say, or or tactic maybe, was that of containment. We used that during the Cold War, or tried to, with the former Soviet Union and the the Warsaw Pact, and with the countries that were involved in that particular operation. Does the containment theory, does that hold water today? Is that the wrong way to go? There's no way China is going to be contained, is there?
2: Right. Uh, I think that's exactly the wrong way to go. President Trump tried that. It was an abysmal failure. Uh, Back in the Cold War with the Soviet Union, uh, containment worked for two reasons. One was that the U.S. and its allies were by far the dominant economies. The Soviet Union, you know, we often say is a gas station with nukes. Uh, Its economy was terribly weak. Uh, It could not compete at all in economic terms, so it was possible to suppress it. Uh, Likewise, because of the ideology of communism and the like, the U.S. was able to maintain an absolutely firm alliance system around the world against the Soviet Union. Those conditions simply do not hold vis-a-vis China. As you say, China is too big, too dynamic to be suppressed. Uh, It's also true that very few other countries, uh, even our best allies in the battle against Russia over Ukraine, for example, very few of those countries would join us in an effort to contain and suppress China. So we have to go it alone and demonstrably that would fail. Uh, As I say, Trump's effort to contain China was an abysmal failure. China was the only major country to keep growing right through the pandemic. Its share of world trade increased sharply despite the trade war with the United States. China is not going to be contained. We have to find a way to work with it despite our disagreements on a number of other topics.
1: Mm-hmm. You now, we hear a lot about the liberal international economy. First off, what is the liberal international economy? And you're, you're talking about it now, but uh, how would that be adversely affected if we did get into this economic Cold War, especially since we are so dependent to a large degree on China? But China is dependent on us also in many respects. But what is what is that uh, liberal international economy that we've been talking about Uh,
2: for years. Right, what I call the liberal international economic order is the system of rules, norms, and institutions that were built up after the Second World War to prevent a calamitous return to the catastrophes of the pre-war period. Uh, The two world wars, the Great Depression, all of which were triggered in very large part because all the big economies competed with each other, were at war with each other, did not have any means to cooperate. Uh, One historian who's got probably the best record on this of any said that the Great Depression was actually caused by the absence of leadership to get the world out of the downswing. Uh, Great Britain had been the leader up to that time, but it was no longer capable of providing leadership. The United States was the rising power, but was unable, was unwilling, was unwilling to take international leadership. And in fact, made the situation a lot worse with many of its own policy actions. So after World War II, the global powers decided to put in place a new international economic order with the IMF, the World Bank, uh, later the GATT, and now the World Trade Organization. A whole system of rules and institutions to keep the world economy open, relying largely on market principles, cooperating particularly to respond to crises, and wonder of wonders, it has worked. And we've had 75 years of the greatest prosperity and stability in the history of the world economy. It hasn't been perfect, but it has been far superior to anything that went before it. Now, a large part of that success was due to U.S. leadership with its allies, to be sure, but with U.S. leadership. And as I said at the outset, the question is whether the U.S. can continue to lead in a world where China's economic power and clout uh, move up right alongside the U.S., uh, eliminate the U.S. supremacy that has permitted it, in a way forced it, to lead the whole system for these past 75 years. If China's rise uh, ends the U.S. ability to lead by itself, and if China is not willing to step in and cooperate with the US in leading, then the 1930s could be repeated. You could have a global economy with nobody taking the lead, nobody fighting off protection when a crisis arises, nobody providing international finance. The Federal Reserve is now the lender of last resort when financial crises arise. They might not be able to do that if the U.S. was no longer the lead economy. So you could have a big, big deterioration and even collapse of the global economic order that has been so crucial to both the world economy, prosperity and stability, and even to the law and peace that has existed between the great powers in security terms
1: over this unprecedented period. And so often when countries make Well, be it unilateral or coordinated moves, multilateral moves, whatever. So often there are so many unintended consequences as, well, Putin has seen with the invasion or basically failed invasion of Ukraine uh, that uh, the United States saw with this invasion of Iraq in uh, 2003. So there are so many unintended consequences that could change the game so quickly. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or a think tank, or a podcast, or even just a computer. You like our shows and you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're looking at the very complex relationship between China and the United States. My guest is an expert on this topic. Dr. C. Fred Bergsten is the non-resident senior fellow and Director Emeritus at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, of which he was founding director from its creation in 1981 through 2012. He was an economic deputy to Dr. Henry Kissinger at the National Security Council. Recently, he authored a book titled The United States Versus China. Dr. Burston, we're talking about this very complex relationship between the two, but there are so many other variables that tie into this Right now, I know we can't go into great depth on it, but what we see, you mentioned the South China Sea. There's a dispute over the Spratly Islands. We see that Taiwan is still a major issue. We see that the Uyghurs are a human rights issue. How, how will these issues, side issues, I say, uh, they're not that they're unimportant, but they're just not the uh, in there in the mix uh, uh, 100% right now. But how will they play into how the U.S., and China work together or don't work together in the future?
2: Well, I think those issues are actually dominating the relationship right now. As I said earlier, there's a strong momentum in both the United States and China towards separation and even a new Cold War. And I think that's driven largely by the issues you just cited, the security and political and and values issues. Uh, My fear, is that the disagreements over those issues will drag the whole relationship into such a negative spiral that it will overwhelm the economic interests that both countries have in maintaining their interdependence uh, in economic terms and their need to provide joint leadership of the world economy. Uh, Many people in the US, but also many in China, ask how is it possible to cooperate on economic issues when we're at loggerheads over these other topics. And it's a fair question. My answer is, countries frequently disaggregate between different issues. Uh, The United States and the Soviet Union even cooperated on a few issues during the Cold War. And we have many examples of countries being at distance, at loggerheads on some topics between them, but agreeing and cooperating to work on others where it's in their mutual interest. So my strong recommendation in my new book, and more broadly, is to decouple the economic issues from the other issues. Recognize the need to work together, at least on the broad economic issues that have systemic importance. For example, climate change. Uh, unless the US and China work together on global warming, uh, the planet is going to burn up. Uh, it's as simple as that. Um, We cannot let disagreement on other topics, as important as they are, block our working together on something as central as climate change. And I would say that's true for the global economy more broadly. We're in a trade war with China right now. The U.S. and China are in a trade war. It is undermining the global trading system. It is spilling over to other countries. It's having widespread adverse effects like on the World Trade Organization and its ability to... uh, to uh, maintain stewardship of the global trade system. Uh, If we let those things continue to fester, and if we let the non-economic issues dominate them and push them into a confrontation, then I think the economic costs will be huge. They will multiply the costs that are out there from the security and values disagreements, but in a way be more pragmatic and, and more felt day to day. The trade war, between the U.S. and China is felt every day by the U.S. consumers that have to pay higher prices for Chinese goods that are tariffed, uh, by the U.S. exporters, particularly in the agricultural community, whose exports have been blocked to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars by the Chinese retaliation against the U.S. tariffs. So uh, there are big, big adverse effects uh, of the economic confrontation that I think simply have to be distinguished from other parts of the
1: relationship. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You mentioned a moment ago about the Trump uh, foreign policy to China, the economic policy was an abysmal failure, which is very true, according to a large number of economists. uh, There were, at that time though, in those four years, you had uh, an America first, nationalistic, unilateral, let's withdraw from the world approach to dealing with a lot of issues we saw that uh, Countries, well, for example, leaders in countries like Putin took advantage of Donald Trump. Kim Jong-un made Donald Trump look like a buffoon in the eyes of a large number of people around the world, uh, the way that he was rapidly building missiles while Trump was talking about this bogus denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. But it goes further than that. There are people in this country who believe that, and which they have a right to do. But you also have a military-industrial complex. That is geared towards working towards conflict. Do you, see, do you see a role, a negative role for them involved in this whole discussion? Do you see defense contractors pushing for this a sort of a hardline approach with China, as well as with Russia and other countries?
2: Actually, I do not see that. Uh, I understand the argument, but I do not see it. In fact, I think our military has been in the forefront of trying to avoid a new Cold War with China. Uh, I think they worry a lot about what I said at the outset, that China is now approaching the US in terms of capability. I stressed it in the economic domain where I think it is clearest, but our military recognizes that China is on the rise in military terms. Uh, They want to assume primacy in their region of the world, at least, if not more broadly. So I think our military, uh, while sounding the alarm and wanting to prepare uh, for defending ourselves against China in the future, uh, has no eagerness whatsoever uh, to take them on in any aggressive way. And and many military leaders have said that economic cooperation is worth more to them than another aircraft carrier, for example. One of the... uh, uh, Naval Command officers uh, made that famous statement a couple of years ago. So no, I don't think that's such a problem. Uh, You mentioned Trump, uh, among his many follies was attacking our own allies. It wasn't just that he attacked China, which he did, (laughs) but he attacked our own allies and of course threatened to pull out of NATO. Uh, Just think of that now with what's going on in Ukraine. Um, But the fact that he went to war with our own allies undermine any sensible effort toward China uh, because Trump was going it alone toward China. We know the Chinese will not, repeat not, give in to unilateral pressures from the United States. We've now seen that on a number of issues. We also know that China does not wish to be isolated. And when there is multilateral alliance against them and a coherent grouping of countries, Uh, particularly the big ones, the Europeans, Japan, Korea, et cetera, uh, on on the same wavelength, trying to get China to reform its policies, there's a much greater chance of success. So one of the good things that President Biden has done is restore the alliances. We see the value of that in the the Ukraine battle with Russia, Uh, but it will be similarly critical with China, and we have to hope that the alliance will hold together uh, as we try to come Confirm China's challenge uh, in a constructive way.
1: Mm-hmm. You're, you're absolutely right when you talk about the military. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, when you talk to military leaders, the last thing they want to do is get involved in a war with China. That's for sure. And, of course, they've run simulations with if they were actually involved in some type of conflict. And the simulations have not gone well in our favor. In fact, we've lost, I think, two or three of them. But that is a main concern. Uh, On the flip side, though, the one challenge that we run into, though, is that the defense contractors so often deal with members of Congress who look upon the defense budget as sort of a a work program to create factories in their areas. And I think of the the one plant in, in Ohio that produces tanks and the the military told members of Congress years ago, we don't need tanks, we don't fight tank wars anymore, but they're still producing tanks knowing that they're going to rust out in the desert. But it is a major problem. Well, the small amount of time we have left, what suggestions would you make if you were able to talk directly to President Xi and President Biden as to how to overcome some of these differences and work towards an amicable solution, because we, we have to cooperate. It's not in the world's best interest, and certainly not in our best interest, if we get into some type of uh, economic cold war or whatever, or certainly not a shooting war with them. But what, what uh, two or three suggestions would you make?
2: Well, what I would stress
1: is the basic
2: conceptual point, uh, which you just enunciated, that both of our countries have an overwhelming interest in maintaining that liberal international economic order. Uh, The total Chinese economic miracle, which is the most dramatic success story in the history of the world economy, that whole success story is due in large part to the liberal international economic order. China was able to take advantage of an open trading and investment system, uh, expand at 10% a year for 30 years, Uh, continues to expand two or three times as fast as we do. And that's in large part because they could take advantage of that open system. The Chinese have such a huge interest in maintaining that system that they run a big risk of undermining their own interests when they carry out protectionist policies, as they do in many areas, when they attack smaller countries like Australia and Lithuania uh, for some uh, alleged slight in the political realm. Uh, the Chinese, I think, still do not quite realize that they are so big, so important, so powerful, that when they misbehave themselves, they generate a backlash against them in the United States, as evidenced by our trade war against them, and in other countries. And if they do that enough, the whole international economic system will seize up and be terribly negative for their own interests. That's why... China, I think from its side, needs to cooperate with the US in maintaining an open system. From our side, it's essential to maintain the global uh, norms, the global institutions, the global rules that have been so successful for the last 75 years. So what I would urge the presidents of the two countries to do is separate, decouple, as I said, recognize that there will be continuing tensions over other topics, but agree, to cooperate on the economic issues, at least those that have big importance for the system as a whole. If they asked me, how do we get that started? I would say, here's an easy one, unwind the trade war that was put in place four or five years ago. Uh, the US should get rid of its extra tariffs on China. China would surely reciprocate by getting rid of its retaliatory tariffs against us, American exporters would gain, American consumers would gain, the overall relationship would gain, and it would be a huge signal to the world as a whole that the US and China were getting back on side in trying to helpfully and, and together run a successful global economic order. So I'd have two or three things to say to them. Uh, I'd love to get the chance. My book tries to do it. And so uh, I think your program will push us in that direction as well.
1: Well, we do know that this program has aired from time to time in Beijing, so hopefully they will be listening to you because those are certainly words we should live by and wise words to people to take advantage of it. In the last 30 seconds we have, I just have to ask you, I saw in your bio that USA Today publication said that uh, you were one of the 10 people in the world who could change your life. Now, you have a very prestigious reputation as an economist in many other areas too. What exactly were they talking about?
2: Well, they were talking about game-changing people. Uh, The list included the guy who invented the internet and the guy who identified the ozone layer that uh, had to be closed to to stop uh, all sorts of problems. Um, I think they chose me as kind of a proxy for globalization and the success of this international economic order. I think they were recognizing what, in fact, we've been talking about today, that though most people don't realize it, uh, the international economic order is critical to their prosperity and even their security. And uh, since I was head of the Peterson Institute for International Economics and have been a spokesman uh, all my long career for uh, an open and cooperative global economic system, they kind of chose me, I think, as the uh as the proxy for that, uh, but I have to confess, the full quote was, uh, he's one of the 10 people who could change your life that you've never heard of, so, <laughs> probably, so probably probably the second part of
1: that is a little more accurate. Well, after this interview, everybody will have heard of you. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, Dr. Fred Bergson, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program.
2: Glad to do it. Good to talk.
1: Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.
0: Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com for new premium shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intracampus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives.